0: Hey, everyone, this is Craig
1: Valentine from TurbulentStrain.com, and I have a very special guest for today's call. We are here with Dr. John Berardi from Precision Nutrition. So, John, welcome to the call.
0: Thanks for having me, Craig.
1: Everyone's pretty excited about this. we got lots of questions coming in on Facebook for you, and so we have quite a bit of stuff to cover with you. And you are one of the fat loss masters for nutrition, but some of the people may not be familiar with you. Some of the people may not be uh followers of yours from 2000 like I have been. So uh, why don't you tell us about, you know, a bit of your background all the way back in your meathead bodybuilding days and then uh, right up to your new projects that you have going on these
0: days. Absolutely. I'd be happy to, Craig. Um, You know, I guess kind of starting on the athletic side because that's that's kind of where it all began for me. In my younger days, I was a track and field athlete, football and rugby player and I competed in bodybuilding, actually winning the 1995 Junior Mr. USA Contest in Las Vegas. And, you know, despite the fact that I was really into sports for a certain period of my life, the truth is I was always one of those guys with his nose stuck in a book. And I I bet you can identify with this, Craig, having done a master's degree, and I know you're an avid learner yourself. And although I – read and still do read a lot of fiction, I was also, and this is like high school, reading a lot of physiology and nutrition textbooks. uh, Talk about a geek. But uh I figured there would be something in those books that I could use to improve my sports performance and my physique. So that's why I was always reading that kind of stuff. So I, it's probably not a big surprise that I ended up going on to do a pre-med degree uh, as an undergraduate, a master's specializing in exercise physiology, and a Ph.D. specializing in nutritional biochemistry now the interesting part for me at least i don't know if anyone else will find this interesting is that i never really wanted to be an academic uh truthfully i wanted to learn how to help people from athletes to recreational exercisers get better results from their training coming from sort of a sport and a physique background i was really really passionate about that so a lot of the motivating and driving factors for me to go to higher education was to learn how to do that. And, uh, you know, when I got out of school, which was a a long journey, as you know, 10 years for me from undergrad to completing the Ph.D. work, I started this company called Precision Nutrition that you mentioned. And our mission was, and it continues to be, to help athletes and recreational exercisers look better, feel better, perform better using the most effective exercise and nutrition techniques. Now, it doesn't mean I've left behind – Sort of my ties to academics, I do hold an adjunct faculty position at the University of Texas and at Eastern Michigan, and I teach a couple of graduate-level sports nutrition classes. Um, however, the bulk of my time, truthfully, is spent working with our awesome team at Precision Nutrition. And, you know, I mean, talking about PN, I often go on and on all day because I'm so excited about the projects that we're doing, so I'll try and keep it brief. But since we started the company in 2000 late 2006, early 2007, we've had the opportunity to work with over 60,000 clients in over 100 countries through our online community. In addition, at the end of this year, we'll have coached over 5,000 people, and those 5,000 will have successfully completed one of our online coaching programs, either the lean eating coaching that we offer or the scrawny Brawny coaching, obviously two different directions, lean eating is people who want to lose fat and scrawny Brawny is people who want to build muscle. And we have also uh, will have certified over 1,000 trainers through some, a new program that we have called the Precision Nutrition Professional Certification. So, you know, that, that's kind of the nickel tour anyway of, of my background. In the end, it's been an awesome run. Uh, our PN team is really, really passionate about what we're doing, and the truth is I wouldn't choose to spend my time doing anything else. So uh, I'm really excited about all this stuff, and, 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 you know, I'm really happy to be able to talk to you about some of it today.
1: Hey, so let's go back to when you were, you know, looking through the books back in the day. Now, if you knew then what you knew now, what changes would you have made when you were first getting started, both in
0: training and, and nutrition? Hmm, it's, that's, a, that's a great question. And, um, you know, it's it's actually a really, really, I think, difficult one to answer because I, I usually try not to go back into the past and, and think about rewriting history because, uh, I'm really happy where I ended up. Now that's not to say my entire process was smooth and linear. It certainly wasn't. And there were lots of times where I was working, you know, really hard in the, in the gym and, if you will, at the kitchen table, uh, and not seeing results. But I'm not quite sure I'd, I'd actually change any of it, uh, because a lot of those periods of sort of stagnation and periods of success taught me a lot about what works about what doesn't work, so I guess, you know, my answer or part of my answer is that, um, you know, I, I really like the fact that there was a lot of trial and error involved. Uh, it taught me a lot about myself that, I, that I'll be able to continue to use for the rest of my life, and uh, that sort of process of digging in and figuring out, you know, what has a really successful impact, what doesn't have a successful impact can really, really change the way you look at things. So, I mean, in terms of uh, the process, I personally wouldn't want to change anything. However, I have learned a lot of stuff that can shortcut some of the, the things and, and get through some of those plateaus a little bit more quickly. And, um, you know, I know that some of that's going to come out through the call today, from some nutrition things to some exercise things. Um, so, you know, hopefully we can keep digging into those right now.
1: Yeah, you bring up a great point, though, about how you were able to use the, the the struggling periods, and I think a lot of people miss out on recording things and writing down stuff, and so I'm guessing that you were doing that, and by doing that, you were able to go back and look at things and figure things out, so maybe just talk about how you did that, but also the importance of it for people that are listening on the call who maybe have never done any food journaling or, you know, even writing their workouts down.
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty insightful actually Craig because the truth is from when I when I really started uh training in earnest uh I actually kept records. Now nowadays, I mean at, at the time, the truth is when I first started, I didn't even have a personal computer. So I wasn't uh using a lot of the technology that people have access to now. So for me it was pretty old school. It was just a little uh spiral bound uh notebook. I would just keep records of my training each workout. I would weigh myself regularly and put my weights in there and I would write my nutrition plan down um and in the same kind of book so that everything was sort of time correlated. And it, it again really primitive. It was with a, a sharpened number two pencil and, and this spiral bound little flip notebook. And uh it was you know, it was good enough for me at the time. And uh the interesting part was it it was actually really sad. Actually, when I when I actually moved to London, Ontario to do my PhD, so I think I was uh, maybe 25 at the time. Uh, so I'd been keeping records for since I was 18. So about seven years of records. Um, my car was broken into, and all my records disappeared. Someone just stole all the stuff out of my car, and just all my all my workout journals and all were in there. So I don't know if there's a bunch of like young punk kids who ended up getting really brawny after stealing my stuff, but. Nevertheless, uh, you know, I, I continue to keep journals after that. But the idea of keeping these, you know, I, I don't like to make them too complicated. I just like to record stuff and let it let it lie. You know, no judgments associated with it. No, am I doing the perfect stuff? You know, I, f- I find people can paralyze themselves by uh, judging their journaling. And it, it's whether whether you keep a personal journal of your thoughts or of your workouts. The important thing is just to write it down. Uh, put it down on paper, and then be able to reflect on it over time to see what worked and what didn't. Because at the moment, you're probably not going to have the clarity of insight to see what's working. You're only going to sort of see it in retrospect. And, you know, this is kind of bigger picture stuff, so I don't know if it's helping people immediately lose fat. But the idea is you just write it down. It only takes a few seconds every day. You know, another trick that I have for journaling that's even simpler than writing this stuff down in a notebook is I get these big – like desktop calendars, and people probably know what I'm talking about, uh, these huge calendars with with the months and then, you know, big blocks for the dates. And what I often do myself, and, and I recommend my clients do, is just uh, basically you keep a nutrition and exercise log on this calendar. So every day that you've successfully done your workout that was scheduled or some physical activity, whether it's at the gym or you just, you know, went for a walk, you put a slash in one direction. And every day that you felt you've done, you know, a successful nutrition habit for the day, because I like to go off of habits rather than, oh, I followed my diet perfectly. So if you're working on a specific nutrition habit and you've done that, you put a check in the opposite direction. So you basically get a big X mark on the days that you've been successful. And on the days that you're not successful, there's either only one slash or no slashes. And it gives you a great way at the end of each month to look back and say, okay, how well did I really do this month? Because I find a lot of people, they remember really poorly. They remember the past um with sort of through rose colored glasses so they think oh i did a really great job this month they don't understand why i'm not losing fat but if they actually had this calendar they would have seen that maybe they were only 50 percent compliant with what they should have been so it's a great way to do that but it's also a nice way to project goals into the future so rather than having these big sort of body compilated goals it's great to just have a simple set of behavior goals you know can i get 90 percent of the days for october checked off with, yes, I did my workout, yes, I did my nutrition habit, and you'd be surprised how often accomplishing that type of goal leads to physique progress. It seems very simple, uh, and I know oftentimes people want to dig for deeper physiological changes, but this type of stuff works very, very well. It's very, very easy to record, and uh, people are often underestimated with how powerful it is. Very nice. And so
1: that kind of leads us into the next question I have for you, which is starting off simple for our beginner listeners. And we do have quite a few of them coming in through, uh, you know, through Facebook and through our turbulence training reports and everything. So what are some of the simplest yet most effective changes that they could make for fat loss? You know, someone who's really new to this stuff. And, and what are the best ways, you know, once we've gone through that follow-up question, a lot of people are always
0: asking, what is the best way to determine how many calories they need? hmm Yeah, definitely good questions, Craig, and with our coaching program, we actually use a series of questionnaires and assessments to determine what level a client's at when they come to see us, and there are generally three levels that most clients fall into. Level one, these are the clients or the people who are completely new to eating well, so in simple terms, a level one client would be the type of person to ask, like, what's a protein or what foods have protein in them? Um, for a level two client, these are the people who demonstrate some understanding of good nutrition, yet need guidance, planning, and direction. So a level two client might say, I eat pretty healthy, but I, I still have trouble sometimes losing weight. And then the level three clients, these are the people who eat the right foods in the right amounts at the right times, but they're trying to achieve higher level goals like physique, or athletic competition, something like that. And so to sort of put a tagline to a level three client, this is the person that says, hey, here's my nutritional spreadsheet, take a look. So you can see that when you have these three types of mentalities, these three types of experience sets, each level is going to require a different approach. Uh, if a level one client says, what's a protein?", We certainly can't give them the, the level of detail in, in our coaching that we can when someone says, here's my nutritional spreadsheet, what do I need to change? So back to your original question, Craig, with Level 1 clients, we basically use a, a one-habit-at-a-time approach. Uh, because people who are completely new to eating well tend to get completely overwhelmed with the exercise and nutrition changes that they think they have to make. And then these are the same people that end up getting overwhelmed and quitting early on. Or they try to adopt 20 different habits at once, and they burn out after a couple of months wondering what the heck happened. So uh, with our coaching, we choose a habit that will create the biggest physiological change with what I call the lowest psychological resistance. And it's an important combination. What can have a big physical impact that will still be able to, to be done psychologically by the person? So in lean eating coaching, for example, our first habit is to take one gram of fish oil per percent body fat. So when people are new to the program, that's the first thing they start we do that up to about 30 grams. So if someone's 20% body fat, they take 20 grams of fish oil a day. If they're 30%, they take 30 grams a day. And we also have them throw a multivitamin in there each day. So habit number one is fish oil, you know, one gram per percent body fat, and then a multivitamin. And we have people do this as their first habit because it's really, really effective for starters, physiologically, it kick-starts body fat losses, increases metabolism, but there's all these other tangential benefits It can improve skin quality, it helps people feel more satiated each meal, and there's also some new research showing that it impacts motivation centers in the brain. So people may be more motivated to follow their plan and exercise and do the further follow-up nutrition habits when they're taking fish oil at this dose. Uh, so, you know, there's this great physiological side, but on the psychological side, it's actually a habit that's pretty easy to do, and it fosters habit-building and positive momentum, and these are all great things when starting a fat loss program. So that's the first thing that I recommend people do when they come into our coaching, for example, and you can see there's a physiological and a psychological perspective. And then every two weeks from there, we add another habit. The second habit in our program, for example, is eating your most carb-dense meals after exercise. So this is another really effective one physiologically and psychologically. By eating our carb-heavy foods like pastas, bread, rice, stuff like that, after exercise only, we're we're obviously going to do something physiologically. We're going to better control overall calorie intake. We're going to use the carbs when they're less likely to convert to body fat, and we're going to create a menu that's rich in proteins, veggies, and good fats during the non-exercise periods. So this one simple habit helps us realign our entire diet and start thinking about each meal a little differently. But we're also doing something psychologically. We're creating a trigger habit. So you've got to earn those pastas, rices, and breads by exercising first. So if you don't do exercise, you're sticking with the lower-density carbs like legumes and veggies and filling your plate with them, and you know bean proteins and things like that but if you do exercise you earn these other foods so these are the two habits that we start our level 1 clients off with and you can see there's more to it than just the physiology we're actually doing things that again can lead to the biggest physiological impact right away while offering the lowest psychological resistance now to the other part of your question Craig We actually don't count calories with our level one clients. I I do think calorie control is important, but I don't think you need to count calories to control them. In fact, we only start counting calories with high level twos or level three type clients.
1: Very cool. Very cool. Hey, there's one question I I wanted to ask you. You mentioned when you were talking about your record keeping, how it was very old school. So have you guys gone – very high tech. And do you guys have a Precision Nutrition iPhone application or anything cool like that?
0: Well, we don't. Uh, we don't have an iPhone app or anything like that. But what we do with our with our coaching, in particular, uh, with our lean eating and our scrawny to coaching, is that we actually created a, a web interface, if you will. And that sounds all fancy, but it's basically a web page that people log into every day and essentially do the old school things with a few high tech bells and whistles. So, for example, in our coaching program, every day you log in, you're presented with a workout for the day. And so it's it's uh, sort of like uh, you can print off a PDF with the, the exercises and the set and rep scheme and stuff like that. But there's also videos, so you can actually either download them to your iPhone or just watch them online, instructing you on how to do each exercise so that when you get to the gym, you know what you're doing. Uh, also, there's a, an, um, a lesson of the day. So it's a lesson that has to do with your current nutrition habit. And then there's just two simple questions. One is, did you do your workout today? And there's a couple options. There's, yes, I did it, and I totally rocked it. Uh, Yes, I did it, but I only got a portion of it. No, I missed today's, but I'll be back on track tomorrow. And then there's a habit question. And it says, did you do your nutrition habit today? And it presents the habit that you should be following for those two weeks. And then you get to say yes or no. And then there's a place to put notes. It seems very simple, but it's really, really cool because when you actually say yes to you did your workout and you did your habit, which is the equivalent of, like, getting the double check mark on your calendar, it uh there's this animated icon that comes up. And it's a, it's a green check mark, and it goes over to your progress meter. So your progress meter builds up with each day of successful habits. Now that may sound like a small thing, but I can tell you that every single person who goes through our coaching program loves, loves, loves the green check marks. It's this cool little animated feature. It sort of builds up your rep points, if you will. And uh, there was actually this cool, a couple of cool studies, Craig, that we found that sort of motivated this, um, that, that were based on high technology things. Uh, one study was pretty cool, and, and basically it was sort of a lifestyle change um, f- phone application. And what it was is you, your phone, your like the home page or screensaver for your phone, was basically like a field of flowers. And you were assigned these habits to do each day. And when you did your habits, the field of flowers would sort of blossom. So you, you'd get more flowers in the field, and the flowers that were there would thrive. And, and when you didn't do your habit – some flowers would start dying off. So if you were very, very successful with the changes that were being asked of you, you'd have this beautiful, you know, field of wonderful flowers. And if you weren't successful, you would see this dying field every time you opened up your cell phone. So the it was amazing because when they added this as a a part of the intervention, people were much more likely to do their required habits and get the results that they were after than if, this wasn't included, and you might say, you know, with fitness, for example, what does a field of flowers have to do with that? It, it doesn't have a lot to do on a on a sort of rational level, but on a pre-rational level, uh, what you're doing is you're tending your garden. You're caring for yourself just like you're caring for this field of flowers, so we actually applied in a little bit of a different way based on some other studies we found, but uh, but that's part of the high-tech aspect of of how we record what people are doing and, and reward them for doing successful behaviors, so uh, our our uh, coaching platform is as simple as it needs to be, so that it's not confusing, but it's also as technologically advanced as it needs to be to provide appropriate um, accountability and reward structures so it, it's pretty neat, very nice. I like that a lot
1: now we've uh, we've covered a lot for the beginners. Have we pretty much covered all the essentials so that everyone should be eating on a daily basis, or, or do we need to go over that a little bit more? Because you really put in some great stuff about the habits there.
0: Yeah. Well, what, uh, what, you know, in response to that question, essentials, you know, I, I almost have to nod my head to the journalist Michael Pollan here, and uh, for those who are familiar with his stuff, or, and even for those who aren't, uh, you know, his his summary of good eating is eat food. Mostly plants, not too much. And uh, I think it's a great summary. I have some criticism of it. But, you know, in essence, if every day you want to eat or if every day you do eat a high percentage of your food as unprocessed stuff, uh, the more real food, the better. That's a perfect start. So what should people be eating on a daily basis? More real, unprocessed food uh, and less boxed-up, processed, you know, altered foods. Uh, the next part of the, the statement, mostly plants, you want to eat a lot of plant foods. So veggies galore, with every meal, including breakfast, including snacks. Now in our coaching programs, we shoot for five one cup servings a day. So that becomes one of the nutrition habits that people have to follow. And, you know, although this mostly plants thing is starting to sound like vegetarianism, it's, it's not at all. It's just that we shouldn't make it an either or thing, veggies or meat. Instead, I think our plate should be heaping with veggies. And if we do eat meat, it's sitting on a veggie-loaded plate. And then the last part, the not-too-much part, that's a great concept, too, where you're eating enough to be satisfied but not full. And that's very, very difficult for people because they don't know what hunger feels like really, and they're not comfortable with hunger. That's why sometimes I like the idea of intermittent fasting uh, just once in a while to learn what hunger feels like and to realize that you're, you're not going to blow apart if you have a day without food. But in our coaching programs, the way we use it is we use this concept called Hari Hachibu, which roughly translates to uh, eat until you're about 80% full and then stop. And so it it takes a while for people to understand these signals. You know, by saying don't eat too much, it's not really clear. It's too ambiguous. So we like this concept of eating until you're about 80% full, and we teach people what that feels like. And then they learn how much to eat. So if you follow those three things, you eat food, mostly plants, not too much, that's sort of the baseline of uh, what people should be doing every single day, but, you know, also including exercising regularly. And I think if you do, if you can really master those things, it's a great recipe for health and body comp for sure. But I guess the the one criticism I have is that while these concepts sound easy, if you're not in the habit of doing them, they can be incredibly nuanced and complex. That's why everyone likes to quote Michael Pollan stuff, uh, because they make for great drop quotes and sound bites. But it's also why very few people actually eat this way, uh, because change doesn't happen with vague directives. Uh, people only change when the new habits they're to build are unambiguous and have a high degree of, and they have a high degree of confidence that they can actually follow them. So, you know, I always think of, the, let's let's say you're a, a new client, and the first day of your fat loss program, your trainer says, okay, we're going to get ripped, and there are only four things you have to do from now on. You need to exercise every day, eat nothing processed, eat mostly plants, and eat only until you're 80% full. Now, if you were to ask that person after this edict or directive was handed down how confident they were that they could do this every single day on a scale of 1 to 10, um, I'm imagining it's they're not going to give you a 10. So they have to exercise every day, eat nothing processed, mostly plants, only till 80% full. How confident are you you can do it on day one of a fat loss program? Probably not very confident. And the problem is if you're not saying 9 or 10 on the confidence scale, It's not really going to happen. So although the advice is great, it's just not going to work unless you're confident you can do it. So that's why we use clear, unambiguous habits. It's why we ask our clients to do only one thing at a time. It's why we say, for the next two weeks, you're going to eat this amount of fish oil, and then the two weeks after that, you're going to do this with your carbohydrates. And it's why we make sure they're confident they can do it before we actually assign it to them And to be honest, I think it's one of the reasons why we have the highest fat loss success rate in the industry for this type of coaching. Um, And not only for short-term fat loss, but for fat loss maintenance over time. So a year later, people have maintained the fat loss that they've seen on our program, and usually those those rates are, are super high. So, you know, I think again, sort of, you can see the theme, I keep coming back to sort of change philosophy and change theory, because I think that's how this whole thing works. I mean, I spent a lot of my life learning about the physiological side, about the cells and the biochemistry, and it's pretty clear that I know what I'm talking about there. But uh, the part where uh, I think I was disappointed by by my learning in school, Uh, this is, you know, sometimes I joke that for coaching my Ph.D. was actually a waste of time, Um, is that, you never learn how to coach. You never learn how people actually change. You never learn how real human beings work when you study the physiology all the time. So, you know, that's that's where, uh, you know, making a physiological recommendation has to come hand in hand with a great approach for laying that out to someone and coaching them through the process.
1: Very nice. I like that a lot. Now,
0: um,
1: one of your coaches is a vegetarian, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, Ryan, Ryan Andrews, actually. He's a, a vegan, plant-based eater type of guy. Yep. And then did you go
1: through, uh, did you try a vegetarian diet for a while, and, and what
0: did you learn
1: that that you uh, learned for yourself, and what you liked and disliked, and anything that may have, uh, you know, altered your programming for some of your clients?
0: Yeah, absolutely. the the My little experiment was a great one, and, and Craig, I'd like to give a little backstory on this, because... Uh, it's kind of a, a funny a funny story that, that sort of got me into this. So one day I was at the gym with one of my meat-loving friends, and he's a guy from New Jersey. And he's a great guy, but he's not unlike some of the guys on the Jersey Shore show, to be honest. And, uh, and we were approached by a fairly skinny guy who was new to the gym. And so this guy, he comes up, and he told me that he loved my work, and, you know, he's read our, our articles on precisionnutrition.com, and he's wondering if I could help him build muscle. And the only caveat was that he's a vegan, so he doesn't eat any animal products whatsoever. And his question was, how can vegans build muscle? So, of course, my sarcastic New Jersey friend quips, by eating meat. And uh, so we all had a laugh at that. But, you know, at the same time, I went away from that interaction. I spent a lot of time thinking about whether or not, you know, vegans could pack on a substantial amount of muscle mass without eating any animal protein. And uh, so in the end, I ended up helping the guy. But I also ended up doing a 30-day vegan experiment of my own. So I planned out this 5,000-calorie nutrition plan. I planned out a hypertrophy training plan, and I, and I just was going to have at it. And uh, so I kept really detailed records, and I documented everything on the website with uh, with articles and blog posts. And at the end, I ended up gaining about seven total pounds in 30 days, and 4.9 pounds of it, uh, according to the calculations, were lean body mass, and 2.1 pounds were, were fat mass. So in the end, it, it ended up being a pretty successful body comp change experiment in terms of ma- lean mass gained, and I think it, it surprised a lot of people. And like I say, I documented the whole thing with body comp measures and pictures of my scale when I stepped on it and photos. And uh, it motivated uh, us even to the point of adding a plant-based diet guide to our precision nutrition system. But, uh, you know, to your question, I actually learned a lot of really great stuff during the 30 days. And so, you know, as an omnivore, there were were a couple things in particular. I learned um, that people who do vegan diets properly – they tend to find really interesting ways of eating more fruits, veggies, nuts, and seeds. And I found that some of the best cookbooks out there, uh, at least for preparing veggies, are put out by vegans. And it's probably because they don't have a choice. It's all they eat, basically. So they have to make it taste good, and, and they have to make it interesting. So that was really cool, and I've taken a lot of great recipes with me. Also, as an omnivore, I learned that sometimes in our quest for Filling a third of our plate with animal food, we forget to think about what the other two thirds should be filled with. So it's kind of an afterthought. And and vegans who do it right tend to eat more whole, natural, locally produced, unprocessed stuff. So that means things like raw nuts and seeds, whole grains like quinoa and amaranth, and uh, you know they have this locally grown bounty of fruits and vegetables. And and because that's all the kind of stuff they eat, they make sure to do it right. And I think a lot of uh, meat eaters or omnivores, simply think about what protein they're having for dinner, and then they add on the other stuff. So I I like this notion of sort of borrowing this, this attention to the other stuff. And, you know, another lesson I learned was that vegans tend to spend more time learning about where their food comes from. So they make a point to understand which foods come from which regions of the world, which foods are in season during certain times of the year, which methods are best for raising the healthiest food. So, you know, not only is this sort of environmentally friendly and and healthy, it's also pretty cool stuff to know, to understand where your food comes from. So I really got a lot out of that. And then I guess the last thing was vegans also understand that carbs aren't so bad for us when they come from whole grain, unprocessed sources and when they're used in moderation. So, I mean, for vegans, if you think about it, to get their proteins and fats, they usually have to go through carbs. So they have to eat enough carby foods to get their proteins and stuff. So they've learned which carbs to eat and how much they can tolerate, and that's a great lesson for meat-obsessed carbophobes. Uh, I think some of us can can get away with more carbs, even if the pastas and the rices have failed us in the past. And the key to doing that is to go for the real grains, the unprocessed stuff. So, I mean, for me it was great. This, the, the whole experiment was great. I did have some issues, um, you know, especially with the high volume of food. One problem that I had was that high volume of grains and and legumes and stuff like that cause some really, really bad stomach bloating and discomfort and stuff like that. And I've since learned that I'm lectin intolerant, and and, uh, maybe some of the listeners don't know what lectin is, but it's just a nutrient that's present in things like grains and legumes that if you're intolerant to it, it can be like lactose intolerance, causes a lot of gas, a lot of bloating and stuff like that. So that wasn't fun Uh, i think there were days when i'd wake up in the morning and my waist girth was 32 inches around and by the end of the day it was 42 inches around so wow i mean it it was pretty awesome to like do like the hey look at my pregnant belly kind of photograph but uh man that was pretty uncomfortable so
1: you were wearing track pants all the time then i
0: guess (laughs) yeah exactly i had to because it. I, it was uh, – fortunately, I, I work most days from home, so I can't get away with it. But, yeah, it was it was uncomfortable at times. And, you know, that's a word of caution for people who are going to try and eat 5,000 calories a day from just legumes and grains and stuff. And, uh, you know, the other thing – I don't want to skew this too much because the minute that my my uh, vegan diet was over, I went and made a big steak. Uh, so – I'm not sort of preaching that vegans are flawless examples of great nutrition. I think there's a lot of stuff that vegans can learn from meat eaters, too. And, I, again, I've published an article on this as well over at the PN website. And uh, the whole experiment spawned four or five different articles. So for those people interested in going a little deeper, they should go check them out for sure.
1: They can just go to precisionnutrition.com and then a sort of search button. Yeah,
0: Absolutely. Yeah, we have a search engine on the right-hand side, so if they type in vegan or vegetarian or whatever, they'll find all the articles.
1: Yeah, okay. Last question on that is just how did you get up to 5,000 calories? Because it is quite difficult to eat that volume of food because when you eat those foods, it suppresses your appetite naturally with all the fiber in it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um I, uh, you know, coming from sort of a bodybuilding background and, and, you know, having eaten as much as seven, eight thousand calories in the past, five thousand calories isn't that big of a deal for me. Um, so it wasn't actually that difficult, really. For the first two weeks in particular, it was actually awesome because I, I was always eating so much food. And that's the one thing. I mean, coming from bodybuilding and eating that much in the past, ever since I stopped training as much, uh, and stop being so concerned with being 230 pounds ripped. Um, I, uh, you always kind of feel like you're never eating till you're full. So you always feel like, oh man, I could eat double or triple what I'm actually eating now. So for the first little bit of my, my, my plan, it felt great because I was just eating 5,000 calories and I felt, I felt full and I felt like I was eating a lot of great food. Uh, by the end, though, with all the bloating and stuff, it it, it definitely became a problem, and it, it was definitely something I wouldn't have stuck with. I would have made some serious changes uh, the next time through. But, yeah, I mean, I, I just ate about six times a day. Um, the three of my snacks, because I had what you might consider three meals and three snacks, and three of my snacks were really, really um, nutrient-dense. So what I would do is I would put a mixture of things like oats and um, – and ground-up flax seeds and uh, oat bran and stuff like that, uh, wheat bran, into a bowl, and I would put some dried fruits. I'd put some mixed nuts. I'd put uh, some vegan protein powder, and I'd put some almond milk or something like that, and i just mix it all together in this big, calorie-dense gruel. So each one of those meals just because of the nuts and the grains and the dried fruits and stuff, was about a 1,000 calories. So that was 3,000 calories right there from just my snacks. And then the other three meals, you know, basically 700 calories each or something like that, and then it's pretty easy to get 5,000. Very nice, very nice. So I
1: guess you must have just learned a lot over that course of the month about how to, you know, make some new stuff, and must have been good that way.
0: It is. And I also, once in a while nowadays, I actually, you know, just have like a, maybe a a vegan day or something like that, where, you know, I just, for one day, I just don't eat any animal food. And I don't really think there's a huge health advantage to that. Um, But sometimes I just like it, you know, it's just something completely different from what I do every other day. And uh, again, on those days, it forces me to make some creative things, um, playing around with completely different flavors than I'm used to. And and I love that aspect of it. And I can only think it's sort of having that variety and enjoyment of of food and, and diversity of food uh, can be, you know, healthy in the long run, even if it's just psychological health, you know? Yeah, perfect. Hey, what do your workouts look
1: like these days? Not, you know, not during that vegan phase, but, you know, in general, people definitely want to know
0: what you're up to in your training. Mm-hmm. Well, for for the, my, my training actually changes all the time, and uh, that's that's largely a function of the fact that I actually really like where my body's at right now. So, you know, back in my bodybuilding days, I'd bulk up to 230 pounds or whatever, but nowadays, you know, I walk around comfortably at 190 pounds. You know, my body fat may be somewhere between 8 and 12%, depending on, you know, what type of calipers or what type of metrics we're using, but, you know, I, I really like how I look. I like how I feel. I like, you know, the types of clothes that I can wear at this size. At 230, I could barely wear anything without having it either tailored or just looking goofy. Um... So for me, I just do a mixture of all different types of training. I still love weight training. I still love being strong and doing, you know, heavy lifts and stuff like that. But, you know, I'll also throw in a lot of things like circuits, like body weight stuff, like some of the turbulence training stuff that, that you'll recommend, Craig. Um, I'll throw in uh, yoga once or twice a week. So let's just say a typical week maybe, three, four days of weight training, one or two yoga sessions, and then maybe two circuit-type workouts. So they might be bodyweight circuits. They may be weight circuits. They might be, you know, sprints at the track. Um, So I might sprint, you know, anywhere from 40 to 60 meters, you know, do some jump squats on the side of the track, stuff like that. So that's generally what my workouts look like, although I'll, I'll mix it up. In the summer, I might get outside a lot more. And so maybe only have two, three-way training sessions, and the rest are, you know, track work or work at a local park with a TRX or something like that. Um, And in the winter, I might weight train a little more and do a little more yoga. Um, So, you know, it it mixes up all the time. But I guess if I had to say the general parameters are I make sure that I train five days a week no matter what, um, or maybe I should say better, make sure I'm physically active five days a week no matter what, and then whenever I get the opportunity above those workouts, which maybe are about an hour each, uh, I just do something physically active. So I go for a lot of hikes, um, go for a lot of walks around the block, stuff like that, just in addition. You know, Sundays, group of us play soccer. So, you know, whatever other physical activity I can add on above those five hours of sort of purposeful exercise, I try and do. And, again, I mean, I'm not trying to push the envelope of strength or muscle mass or anything like that. I'm just trying to stay physically active. And my main goal right now is just to keep my muscle mass as I get older, um, to stay physically fit, and to stay uh, able or keep my ability to do stuff. And so doing stuff means if someone calls me and says, hey, man, you want to play a pickup game of basketball, I can do it. Um, if someone says, hey, you want to go through around the football, I can do that. If someone says, you want to go rock climbing, I can do that. So I'm basically ready to be able to play any sport or do anything physical uh, without having to train for it. So that, to me, is like the perfect level of fitness. Yeah, that's
1: good. very good. And that kind of leads me to my next question here, which is going to get into some more of the advanced nutrition stuff. And we're going to talk about post-workout nutrition for fat loss. So why don't we start with? you know, because we do have such a broad range of people listening to the call. So we'll start with an obese person's, you know, do you guys even address that sort of thing? And then getting into someone who's maybe, uh, I would say maybe 20 pounds overweight, Mm -hmm. and then getting into more of your advanced lean clients, maybe even going so far as to tell us what you will recommend for someone who's going into a competition.
0: Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, when I think of the idea of sort of post-workout nutrition for fat loss, you know if it's a question the answer's maybe um you know i think in our in our industry the idea of sort of post workout nutrition has become so attached to exercising that people never really break it down like you just did and say yeah but for everyone really and in my opinion if someone's training really hard let's say with weights and is looking for a muscle building adaptation sure you know you go with a fast digesting protein carb drink Maybe a two-to-one ratio, and rather than drinking it after a training, I actually like to drink it during training. And this not only helps, you know, could not only help boost performance during the workout because you're providing the carbohydrates and stuff like that. It'll ensure that those nutrients are available for repair and recovery as quickly as possible after. So if, like I say, if someone's training really hard with weights and is looking for this adaptation, then Yeah, I think it's a great thing, and I think you should drink it during. Uh, Let's say someone is on the opposite end of the spectrum. They're an endurance athlete, so they're doing, you know, hard interval workouts or something like that. Again, for an adaptation, they want their muscles to be able to perform better the next day than they did today uh, for a very competitive reason. Then absolutely, again, workout nutrition, I like it during. Uh, However, if someone's just exercising for a little fat loss, I think they can skip the post-workout drink altogether. Um, if they're not actually trying to force a big adaptation, grow muscles, change the way that their uh, muscle fibers perform under endurance conditions, then just eat a healthy whole food meal instead. And, you know, they would use the same rules as we talked about earlier. Eat whole food, mostly plants, not too much. And uh, And then I think they're going to do fine. So I don't necessarily think a post-workout drink would impede fat loss. You know, whether it's, whether you drink it during or after. But I definitely think it's probably not necessary if you're not actually looking for an adaptation. Because that's what these drinks do. I mean, they've sort of become marketed as magical, mystical potions that do everything. But really what they do is they replenish muscle glycogen and they uh, stimulate protein synthesis. So protein synthesis means we're building up new proteins in the body and glycogen means that we have a completely topped-off muscle energy gas tank, if you will, uh for high performance the next time we get to the gym or to the track or whatever. So, I mean, you know, I, I like to keep it as simple as that. If you're really trying to push the envelope and you're really, really trying to perform and grow and all that kind of stuff, then, yeah, these drinks are great. Uh, I think you can do them during. Uh, if you're not, if it's just a little fat loss you're after or just a little recreational activity, um then i don 't think you need to mess with them at all. I think you just need to eat whole food mostly plants, not too much sort of a thing
1: perfect and that goes you know for someone who 's
0: sixteen weeks out of a of a
1: bigger competition or bodybuilding competition, do you get a little bit different then
0: yeah absolutely that 's when that 's when we'd use uh use some of these workout nutrition concepts that are a little more advanced. So I mean, it kind of depends on the person really, but I mean, there's you can fork it off in just a few ways. You know, the first way is if someone's sort of getting ready for a competition, and the first phase they're actually still building, uh, then then we use a carb protein type of thing, two to one. Uh, usually I let this say 15 grams of protein and 30 grams of carbs per hour trained, and that works for you know physique athletes as well as uh, for endurance athletes. And then uh, after the workout, they might duplicate the same thing, 15-30, for a physique type athlete. Now, once they get into really serious fat burning mode, so you know those last four, six, eight weeks before competition, that's when we might actually just fork it off and use a branched chain amino acid drink and no carbohydrates during the training. So they're just getting those, you know, protein synthetic, or in that in that point, it's probably protein preserving. Nutrients, but we're actually keeping carbs fairly low. But again, it kind of depends on, you know, as you know, uh, athletes who are doing physique competitions may have high-carb days, low-carb days, and stuff like that. So then you actually want to oscillate what your workout drink suggestion is based on whether it's a high-carb or low-carb day, stuff like that. So it can get pretty complicated, but, you know, the, the thing is, how does it fit into the big picture? If you're training for a show and you need to build still, then workout drinks are great. If fat loss is something that you have to do and very, very quickly, then, you know, branch chain drink alone would be great. Um, And then, you know, if you're cycling, then you'd cycle between the two options.
1: Very cool. Appreciate that advice. And, you know, I think we actually have a whole bunch of – I still have a few, uh, I should say, more advanced, um, I think, longer answer uh, questions that I have for you, so we might have to schedule another interview. But let's leave off by me asking you this one: Looking ahead, what do you see, you know, in 2011 as being some of the nutrition trends—good, bad, and ugly? What do you see in terms of research coming out? You've you've really mentioned some cool stuff there with the fish oil. Is there anything else that uh, that you're really keeping your eye on, and that you also are just kind of you know rolling your eyes at in terms of the nutrition industry and? really think that something should be avoided that might be becoming popular these days?
0: Yeah, well, you know, generally when it comes to sort of future prediction stuff, uh, I'm not very good because I usually tend to keep my head down. I just look at, you know, some some of the current research that's coming out, and then I look at, um, you know, what what we're doing basically at Precision Nutrition because that keeps me busy enough. But the one thing, Craig, i would become less and less interested in is the idea of the perfect program, which is this very physiological thing, I just become more and more interested in helping people come up with the best plan that they can follow, which is a much more psychological thing. And that's why, you know, I've spent a lot of time today talking about change, because actually I've been reading a ton of the change literature that's out there. And, you know, this is usually the branch of psychology, but we're starting to see it crop up in weight loss and physiology studies as well, where uh, researchers who traditionally have done exercise science stuff are starting to look at Change research and apply it to fitness and fat loss and nutrition and exercise, and you know I mean I realize this, and you probably have too Craig, because you know you've been uh in the industry, if you will, sort of helping coach people on changing their bodies for just as long as I have, and you know you just see that only about ten to twenty percent of clients that are interested in body transformation can actually change their lives in the way that most personal trainers and nutrition coaches ask them to change. And, I mean, that advice often sounds like this. You know, so, Craig, um, you want to lose fat? Okay, great. I can help you with that. I want you to drop all your bad habits today. I want you to adopt these 15 good ones right now because I say so. And if you can't do all of that, you're lazy and unmotivated, and I'm going to fire you as a client. And that's generally how the personal training mindset, and obviously it's a bit of a it's a bit of a, a generalization, but I mean that's kind of how it looks like. You have to drop all your bad stuff. You have to do all this great stuff, and you need to do it now. And I'm not going to support it. It's just because I say so. And if you can't do it, then you suck. And uh, it's no wonder that the other 80 to 90 percent of the people out there are branded as lazy and unmotivated. You're asking them to change too much, too fast, and based on some authoritarian command. And very, very few people ever respond to that. So, you know, in addition to being a physiology expert, I've actually set out to become a coaching expert and a change expert. And that's why I think our our coaching programs in particular are so effective, because we try and use the right physiology, but we also use the right change approach. And to me, that's really the future of this industry, blending physiology with psychology. Now, I don't know if you've read the book Switch by Chip and Dan Heath, Craig. Have you seen that one yet?
1: I haven't gotten around to reading that one yet, no.
0: Uh, It's one of the best books I think anyone in our field, especially involved in coaching, can can read. and, And, you know, I highly, highly recommend it. And it's a great introduction into this concept. And for those fitness pros that are actually listening and people who are personal trainers or strength coaches, I highly recommend they also check out our certification program because this is where we teach these strategies in depth in a way that applies directly to the fitness industry to help clients get better results. So our cert actually is broken down into two pieces. The first half is all the physiology, and the second half is the coaching approach. So it's how to do both sides of the coin. And, again, that's why that's where I think this industry is actually going. It's where a lot of the research is going. It's definitely where we're going if no one else is. And, uh, and so that's, that's what I'm pretty passionate about lately. It's sort of blending the two, this physiology plus change approach. Because that's really how this whole process works. And like I said, that's what I was a little disappointed in my PhD work with. It was all just the physiology. So when I got out and I started, you know, looking to help people and help as many people as I could in all sorts of different contexts, I wasn't completely prepared. And, uh, because I, w- I never learned that these are there's like a human attached to the, the biochemical reactions. And that's uh, a really interesting – it's a tough thing for people to learn uh, when they get into this field, but once they actually learn to master this, you know, those clients that they thought were lazy and unmotivated, they start to realize have unlimited potential. They can be the perfect client. There's just a process that you have to go through with them. So that's what I'm pretty excited about, and I think that's where our industry is definitely headed.
1: Yeah, you just realized that there was a human that wasn't 21 years old, starving, and ready to do anything for $200 in research, uh, you know, payment (laughs) for being a subject. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, You did say a really important word. uh, The word was support, and so I imagine you have an incredible support group for your PN clients with your, your forum that is open, available to everyone, right?
0: Yeah, that's it. I mean, we've had uh, – we have over 70,000 uh, members of our online community, which is the forum area. You know, we've got a, a bunch of uh, individuals that are part of our PN team who are basically paid to, to answer questions on the forum and offer that type of support. And, uh, you know, going back to this sort of change idea, that's actually one element integral To this whole change process, and you know, again, people who pick up Switch can can check it out, and it's in it. They call it. They call the concept the rally, the herd, and and the idea is that without the appropriate support, uh, achieving really lofty goals and and making changes in your life is very difficult. And there's actually a research group who's looked at this, and you know, they came out with some pretty jarring headlines about two years ago that obesity was contagious, and you probably read those, Craig. And uh, the idea is that your social circle determines basically what your norms will be. So they found that, you know, not only were people who hung out together more likely to uh, gain body fat if, if the majority of their group was gaining body fat, even family and friends who lived across the country or in a different country we're three times more likely to become obese if their social network is also becoming obese. Now, the unfortunate part is, for me, I've always been, I don't know if, if it's lucky or if I just tried to seek this out on my own, but uh, I've always felt like I've been lucky enough to be surrounded by positive social support examples. But I also have come to learn that not everyone has that. So that was part of the mission of what we were trying to do by opening up our community, also by offering the type of coaching that we're offering. It's putting people together so that instead of obesity becoming contagious, fitness and leanness becomes contagious in the same way. And that's the good news about this research. Just because bad things are contagious, that doesn't mean there's a doomsday prophecy coming. Good things are equally contagious. And I love that idea. Yeah, that's great
1: stuff, man. I really appreciate all the information that you gave us. We really went down a different track, and, I, and I'm kind of glad that we did with this, the support and psychology and stuff like that. And so, what do you say to having another call, maybe sometime soon, the next couple months, where we go over some more of the physiology we didn't we didn't cover? We want to cover that carb cycling question, but then also gives me some time to uh, get into some of the change and motivation and support um, research, and I'll come back at you with some questions on that
0: that'd be great that'd be awesome man i'd be really grateful to do that and you know hopefully if if uh your listeners like this call and ask for more we can we can do it
1: awesome well i really appreciate that and and i guess the first first step for people to uh get more involved with precision nutrition is simply go to precisionnutrition.com and is there anything you want to direct them to
0: there no, I mean, they can sort of choose their own adventure when they get there. And actually, on the home page, there's uh, a bunch of free courses. So there's a free course for men, there's one for women, there's one for athletes, and there's one for fitness professionals. So right on the homepage, once they get to precisionnutrition.com, they can choose their own adventure and, and uh, start to, I guess, for people who are new to what we do, learn what we're up to. And for those who aren't new, dig in a little deeper.
1: And that will also get the professionals the information they need on the certification program absolutely yes okay thank you john so much it's been a wonderful call and i really appreciate all your help today
0: thanks craig i appreciate it and uh i appreciate everyone who spent their time listening in thank you guys
1: all right thanks everyone this is craig valentine from turbulence with john brady from PrecisionNutrition.com. part one of our interview and we'll be back sometime soon with part two bye-bye everyone